off in my time machine Third eye feeling like an Evazine Blast off, blast off, blast off, blast off Come blast off in my time machine Third eye feeling like an Evazine Blast off, blast off, blast off Welcome to another episode of Hero Paranormal Podcast. I am Ryan, the original outlaw of the airwaves, bringing you this VIP episode. Broadcasting just south of Area 51 at the base of La Madre Mountain in the Silver State of Nevada. Our guest today is John... Steiger, prolific writer of the UFO trilogy, Dramas for the Stage. Talk about a barn burner. John really put a ton of research into this since 2010, and he mentions there may be a cover-up, but we're going to get into that and so much more following up with what seems like an unfathomable amount of research John has put into these UFO cases, the three that we are going to talk about today. But before we do, have you been over to Hero Paranormal Podcast, heroparanormal.com or Hero Paranormal on Facebook? If not, check it out. Also check out our science project. Space Wolf Research. You can find that at SWR on Facebook and SpaceWolfResearch.com. Just something we do for fun. This UFO trilogy, Dramas for the Stage, John became inspired by the idea of a jury trial drama. And I think that's the best way to go about it, getting to the truth. With the audience as a jury examining all the research that he's done since 2010 to get to the truth between the arguments. What an amazing way to guide prolific research into extensive theories, taking in the skeptics, weighing in all aspects. And, you know, you just have to buy this. Check it out. Dramas for the Stage, the title, you can get this on Amazon, it is from the Flying Disc Press, the UFO Trilogy, Dramas for the Stage. Go to Amazon, pick up a copy, it's worth every penny. You go into the Rendlesham Forest Incident, the Roswell, New Mexico Incident, and the Brooklyn Bridge UFO investigation. All of them deeply, deeply researched. Definitely check that out. And uh, in other news, we have some really cool Swapcast podcasts and patron podcasts that have been going on. If you haven't been to podbean.com, go over there and look up Hero Paranormal. We have a patron platform there. If you haven't been to Patreon, I went on there and I like subscribe to three or four things. It's hard not to. It's the only way to really keep up with those you want to keep up with. And uh, go to Patreon and you can find Hero Paranormal there too now. We are also going to be on my friend Jim Perry. If you haven't gone to Euphemet, check out Euphemet. Great podcast. He recommended Anchor. So I'm going to take his recommendation and I'm going to cruise over to Anchor and see what's up there. So yeah, keep up with us on all those all those platforms and actually go to YouTube and subscribe to Hero Paranormal on YouTube. Things that are hard to dispute in these cases are many. Whether it's the Brooklyn Bridge UFO investigation, whether it is the Rendlesham Forest investigation, which is British version of Roswell, with distinct differences, or whether it's the mother load, the Roswell investigation. With no further ado, the only guy you can ask about the three and get the most information, prolific writer, inspired researcher, 
but most importantly, overall good guy, John Steiger. Welcome to the Hero Paranormal Podcast. I'm good. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. It's great to finally talk to you. I've been just fascinated by your book. I love everything about it. The, um, the research that you have put into this since 2010 is staggering. And the prolific writing is, well, it's just so amusing and great. I, I love it. Everything. And I wanted to ask, uh, let's see, what I had a ton of questions, John. Well, let's start at the beginning. How did you first become interested in UFOs? Well, that's a, a bit of a long story, but I blame my mother-in-law for that. Uh, she was an insomniac, uh, but she didn't watch TV at night. Instead, she listened to the radio. And she started out listening to Larry King, who I, I wasn't so much interested in him. And then uh, uh, she, he went to TV, you know. So then she switched over to Art Bell and his UFOs and Paranormal. And then she would uh, regale me with tales of what was going on in the Art Bell show and then uh, also uh, inform me uh, how sad she was that I had to work during the day and so I couldn't possibly stay up and listen to art bell at night but i decided to show her up and i went to sleep with the radio on and at times you know you wake up in the middle of the night and i would be listening to art bell and i got snippets here and there uh all through the years of art bell and and linda moulton how richard c hoagland and all his uh, uh famous people he had on there so anyway that that was an introduction to ufos um, I was doing other things, though, at the time, like writing fiction and, and uh, actually directed two movies, uh, very low-budget movies, and so that took up quite a bit of time. But eventually, I got out of all that, and um, I, started, I went to uh, two conferences in Washington, D.C., one in 2010, and, and then the Citizens' Hearing in 2013, and... and um, uh, then eventually I went out of town and went to the Roswell UFO conference, which is uh, held annually around the 4th of July in Roswell, New Mexico. And uh, I really had a good time out there. That was in 2015. And on a driving, I drove out, and on the drive back, I got the idea that wouldn't it be interesting to um, put the pro-UFO uh, pro Roswell witnesses up against the anti-UFO uh, Roswell witnesses. And so I came up with the idea of a, um, of a, of a jury trial. Um, and in fact, the audience acts as the jury. And I think that's an, an, a very interesting facet. Uh, when you go, attend the play, you would get with your um, playbill, you would get a juror ballot and actually get to fill it out at the conclusion of the uh, play and uh, then the ushers would take it and it'd be tabulated during the um, uh, accolades and, you know, uh, closing with the, with the actors. And then finally the judge would come out and he would render the verdict. Well, the two sides were um, the plaintiff was Citizens for UFO Disclosure. Now, that's a fictional name for a group, but there's a lot of UFO groups with, with similar names to that. So it... it, it you know, lends a, 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 a great uh, aura of authenticity to it. And so anyway, they present 10 first-hand witnesses, not, uh, witnesses with first-hand knowledge of what went on at Roswell. Now, none of these witnesses has the full picture because Roswell was such a big case. But if you put together what those 10 witnesses can uh, can testify to, it'll provide you with a pretty full picture of what happened and why uh, there's belief that Roswell was a UFO crash, a legitimate UFO crash. On the other hand, the United States Air Force has done its best uh, to try to um, deny that any uh, actual UFO crash occurred. And they put out two reports in the 1990s. These were, both of these reports were hundreds of pages long. Now they, it boils down to 
uh, about five witnesses, and but two of them are kind of redundant to a, to one of the others. So I really left left them have three primary witnesses, which is all that their reports really rely upon. And then you know there's a lot of evidence that they drum up in the report for their uh, uh, stance that there was no UFO crash. So anyway, and there's, you know, there's attorneys for both sides and they put up objections uh, throughout and they have uh, opening statements and closing arguments. And once that is done, then they, um, the uh, judge reads jury instructions to the audience or, you know, it would be to the reader, you would read that, and then you can render your verdict on what you think happened at Roswell. But the idea is, this play puts the entire Roswell case into a nutshell. Now, it's not totally comprehensive because a play of this, this uh, sort is meant to be taken uh, over the course of one experience, over the course of one afternoon or one evening. And if you did the entirety of all the evidence of Roswell, you're talking days, if not weeks, and make, you know, like an OJ trial or something uh, to that effect. So... Um, Anyway, this, this, this puts Roswell into a nutshell for those who want a good introduction to what happened there. You'll have an understanding once you reach the, read this play. And uh, so that's, that's what I did uh, once I got home. Now, it took me um, nine or ten months to review uh, the literature. I had to buy a lot of it and whatever and make notes, made extensive notes, and then two or three months to uh, write the play. Now, each of these plays uh, of the three in my trilogy has a bibliography so that all my sources are there and you can reference them uh, if, if you want to for further reading. Uh, there's also an extensive series of endnotes. And I mean, there's uh, over 850 endnotes in all three plays so that this, these plays are all very well referenced with factual references, and uh, you can see where everything has been, uh, uh, comes from that's uh, being presented to you. And lastly, there's also an index for each play. So if there was some uh, uh, tidbit or, or trivia or, or even an important item that you were interested in and you had gone through the play and weren't sure where it was, was you can use the index for a handy reference and, and get right to the page where uh, the information is that you want. Yes, I, you know, what an amazing way that you've chosen to guide your research and... <clears throat> As you mentioned, John, over 850 uh, endnotes, and talk about the sources, the images, and the way that you just kind of put the person there. Um, I love the images. I love everything you've done here. And um, our guest today, John Steiger, prolific writer of the UFO trilogy, Dramas for the Stage. Um, John, I wanted to kind of focus back and go into some of that research because it really is detailed. And I like how you delved into even the characters that are in the courtroom drama and real characters that had real experiences, said real things under oath, whether that we'll get into that. And that's kind of what I wanted to discuss is where, how you got we, your inspiration, obviously, the, the, the Roswell trial, the courtroom drama, and... I also wanted to ask, you know, the play in general, um, could we go into some of that detail? Sure. Um, I mean, I, what I did was I took every book, and I did books pretty much as limited on Roswell because there's so much literature on it. Um, I did books, you know, by like Kevin Randall, Don Schmidt, Tom Carey. Um, uh, John Price wrote a book on, uh, on it. Um, and then there's a lot of other, um, you know, like kind of one ofs. Um, I, I, let me look at the, um, 
bibliography a second so I can. It's amazing. Um, Man. Okay. Uh, Don Berliner and Stanton Friedman wrote uh, an early book on it. Um, Charles Berlitz and William Moore wrote the first book on it. Um, there's uh, a book about uh, intimate interviews with Jesse Marcel by uh, Linda Corley. Um, and then, not only did I do that side, I also did not just the, the two Air Force reports. One, one of them is by um, um, Colonel Richard Weaver and First Lieutenant James McAndrew called the Roswell Report, Fact versus Fiction in the New Mexico Desert. And then two, two years later, McAndrew alone did a uh, follow-up report, the Roswell Report case closed. Now, these were both done uh, bef right before the uh, 50th anniversary of Roswell, because Roswell was big in the news, and the Air Force was trying to, to uh, quash it. Um, but anyway, um, then there's also uh, Philip Class, Cal Corf, and um, uh, uh, Flock. Uh, Carl Flock were three skeptics who, uh, on, at least Flock is not always a skeptic, but he's a skeptic towards Roswell, it turned out. They, they wrote important skeptical books uh, uh, which support the Air Force's position. So, and the, the play is dedicated to the uh, investigators of, of the Roswell crash, both sides both the pro-UFO side and the um, uh, anti-UFO side, the, the, the two Air Force gentlemen and also those uh, three skeptics I mentioned. I'm trying to give equal time to, to both sides here. Um, so because it's, it's, it's important that, you know, we, we examine the evidence uh, and fairly in order to get to the truth because that's what we're really trying to get to here what was the truth that happened at roswell yes i agree there's a lot of truth in um i think mixed into your research john and uh the you mentioned the three skeptics wrote very important books uh as, as far as the air force perspective and you know, these, these people uh, that were working for the Air Force and the skeptics, uh, there's, there's a lot of cases where I think people brought a lot of baggage in possibly with them, whether it's their job and, uh, you know, that, that not, not, not that that would affect the truth, but it may affect the way they filter the truth when speaking to others. Is that true? I think that Air Force reports are definitely slanted. I think the Air Force had a preordained um, um, outcome that they wanted to present. I, the Air Force claims they looked at the, and, and did an investigation and came up with the truth. Uh, I don't. I reject that personally. I, I believe they had it. Um, I mean, this happened at, at the time of the event. You know, they, they put out the press release stating that they had a, a saucer, and then they took it back a day later with their cover-up done by uh, General Ramey out of Fort Worth. I, I mean, he came up with a very brilliantly uh, clever cover-up. Uh, we believe those were on orders from the Pentagon itself. Um, and so this has been their uh, stance all along. Um, to deny that uh, anything important happened, even though there's just an, an awful lot of evidence that would uh, be uh, uh, against the Air Force's position. And that's all, what I try to uh, portray on the plaintiff's side of the case. And I think you do a good job of that, and especially the scenarios. And I just wanted to double check, the Air Force witnesses, it was, that was Sheridan, Cavett. I hope I'm saying that right. That's correct. Irving Newton and Dr. Charles Moore for our listeners that um, aren't familiar. And I, you know, talk about a barn burner. The UFO trilogy is, John, this is your first publication and you've put a ton of research 
into this. You, uh, since 2010, and you mentioned that there may have been a cover-up of sorts. Could, could we go in a little bit into detail, not taking away from, I, I want to move on and get into the Rendlesham stuff as well, but could we go into that a little bit, maybe that there is well, a cover-up? Yeah, there's, a, there's an overall general cover-up by the military um, against the UFOs. I mean, that's, I don't know if you want to consider you know, this news that's been breaking lately, you know, about the, the Air Force carriers and all that is, is somewhat breaking it up. I, I really haven't studied that extensively and, and, and not really in a position to testify to that. But historically, going back to 47 with Roswell, there's been denial of, of uh, UFO activity on the military's part, and in particular the Air Force. The Air Force is the lead service. Uh, with this over the Army, Navy, or Marines. Um, just because, you know, they're dealing with the, uh, flying and most of the UFOs are up in the sky. So, uh, or come from the sky. So anyway, yeah, they're, they're, this, but the cover-up at, at Roswell is, is they put out the press release, and it's arguable that the press release should never have been put out, that it was a big mistake. But the base... See, the Roswell base was kind of like a satellite. Or, uh, it's not... The, the, the larger base was at Fort Worth Army Airfield, which is, you know, a town next to Dallas. And Roswell, Roswell is extremely important, though, because the, the nuclear bomb uh, 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 bombers were based there uh, when we uh, bombed, uh, you know... Uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, they, they, you know, the, the Trinity site in New Mexico is where they uh, did testing uh, out of Roswell and, and whatnot. But anyway, the headquarters uh, for, for that uh, branch of the Air Force was out of Fort Worth Army Airfield and Texas. And so then they took over because the Roswell people put out the press release. The Pentagon saw this. They said, no, you can't, this can't be, that we can't have this. Um, and so then the uh, General Ramey there, and this is all detailed. There's a, there's a, General Ramey was deceased and he never, he probably would have never come forth anyway because he was, you know, very much on the Air Force side. But there is a uh, very good uh, witness um, who was the uh, kind of like the lieutenant. Here, Brigadier General Thomas Jefferson DuBose. He was right below Ramey and there on the scene. And he actually came forth in his old age and uh, admitted that it was cover-up. Wow. Now, the one thing he never admitted was that there were, it was UFOs because he claimed he never saw the material itself. And that could very well be true. I mean, the, the UFO material was uh, uh, kept to, uh, you know, the fewest and smallest amount of people. But he said that that uh, weather balloon that, that was presented to the press the day or so after the uh, press release was uh, not uh, the Roswell debris. Wow. Wow. Big, big stuff. That's that, that could, you know, that that's really big, big stuff. And it is, it's, it's interesting. I wanted to ask you a bit, John, and this is about your trip to Roswell and you know, not that the average question, I'm not going to ask the average question. You may have seen something, John, possibly, or witnessed something that changed your perceptions on things. Can we go a little bit into that? You mean the shadow being sighting? Yes, sir. The, the, the Humphrey Bogart type shadowy figure, please. Yes. Okay. The okay. That, that occurred after my first trip to Roswell on the first night out of Roswell, uh, actually the morning. The, Roswell ended on, on Sunday. Uh, I spent the night and, in Roswell at the hotel and then left early in the morning, um, beginning my journey back home. 
um, I decided to go a different way than the way I had come into town. I, met, I went a less direct way, um, but I wanted to, I don't know, I just felt like doing something, you know, seeing, not that you could see much in, in, when in the darkness, but the, just going a different route through New Mexico. You know, it's, you know, Mexico is called the land of enchantment, and it's called that for good reason. It has so many UFO sightings, but not only does it have a UFO sighting, for me it had, and, and I've never seen a UFO myself. I've never seen that anywhere in my life. I have very bad vision, so it's not surprising. I can't I stargaze very well either. But I happened to see this shadow being. Um, this was on Monday, July 6, 2015. I believe it was between the, the these are small towns or small cities, Capitan, New Mexico, and Carrizozo, New Mexico, on the on U.S. Route 380. And this occurred approximately 4.30 in the morning. Now, I had gotten up at 3 a.m., as was my um, practice on a travel day, because if you, I'm sorry, I got up at 2 a.m., and I'm out, you know, in my car, you know, having done the dogs and everything, and, and, and had my hotel room coffee. I make mm -hmm. the hotel room coffee, the foul-tasting stuff, Me but too. it has caffeine in it. So that's my first coffee of the day. I get on the road at 3 o'clock, and, you know, between 3 and 7, you can make incredible time, uh, you know, before uh, uh, morning traffic gets on the road. So anyway, I was driving... Um, I was driving from Roswell up to Denver, but I went across the state of New Mexico over to Interstate 25, and that uh, I would hit 25 a little bit below Socorro, New Mexico, where there was a, another UFO incident in, in the 60s. But it, but anyway, and then take 25 up to Denver. Um, okay, so it's 3 a.m. I'm I'm out, and by 4:30 I was. And I was going about 60 to 65 miles per hour, um, and, I, and I'm out in the middle of nowhere. Literally, it's 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 ranch land, but it's not really good grassland. It's not like you know, like Kansas or 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 Nebraska or the you know the really good prairie land. New Mexico's more scrubland. Now you, they have they have sheep and 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 whatnot, but it's just it's not as it's not as good because it, it just simply doesn't get as, as uh, uh, enough moisture to be uh, as fertile. So anyway, I'm driving through this type of area. It's a two-lane road, and uh, as I said, I was going 60 to 65 in in the car, but I was wide awake having had the coffee. Okay, I happened as I coming up to. Uh, uh, driving along the road, I happened to see on the left side of the road a figure that was entirely in black. I mean black as coal. You know how the night is, is a gloom, and it's a gloom that the headlights can penetrate. This figure, this coal black figure, the light of the headlights did not penetrate it. It went around it so that you saw it was distinctive figure. Now, there were only three things that I made out on that figure, and that was it had a hat shaped like a fedora. Think, I immediately thought of Humphrey Bogart in like the Big Sleep or the Maltese Falcon when he would, you know, he'd dress in his hat and his trench coat. And it also, the trench coat was the other component um, that uh, it just, it seemed like it was, a trench coat, I, I suppose it could possibly have been a shroud, but that's, I, I got that, and then I had the head, uh, which was between the trench coat, of course, and the hat, and the only thing I, you could make out on the head was there was a, a place for the nose. You could make out the nose. You could not make out eyes, ears, uh, no distinctive characteristics like race, ethnicity, sex even, were uh, or hair, were, um, you, you just couldn't see that. Uh, it was all black. So anyway, um, I saw it 
I was about 20 to 30 yards from it when I first noticed it. It immediately dematerialized into like a light energy beam and zipped across the highway, both traveling from the the left shoulder across both lanes of the highway and then rematerialized immediately in the exact same shape and form. Um, and, you know, the, the detective shape and coal black figure on the other side of the highway and then I went zipping past. That took, my estimation, less than two seconds. I would say that this, it went across the road. Now this was some daring. I'm, I'm in a car going 60, 65. If that's a solid thing, I, you know, I could, smack into it pretty well but I, I was 20 to 30 yards when it first happened and by the time uh, it was on the other side I was 10 to 20 yards from it so in the time I went 10 yards it dematerialized streaked across and rematerialized on the other side of the road and then I went on pass now it took me about 10 minutes I estimate or say 10 miles down the road to process what happened. Because this, I mean, you're not expecting this, especially at 4.30 in the morning out in the middle of nowhere. And, but I know what I saw, I know what happened. Um, I was wide awake. Wow. And I thought about turning around and I said to myself, you know, I'm not gonna be able to find the spot if, if it's not there. I'm, I'm, you know, because I just, it's not, there's nothing distinctive, you know, about this, this landscape. There really isn't. And it's pitch dark. It's out of my way. And thirdly, I don't, what if it's there? I don't want to mess with a shadow being. I'm not, you know, what, what do I want with it? It, it, it? It got across the road in front of me. There was no accident or anything. It went its way. I'm going my way. I'm not bothering it. It's not bothering me. But bygones be bygones, and I kept going. Yeah, I I would have done the same thing. Amazing experience, though. Um, I I can't function without two seconds out of my entire life. I've had paranormal experience. Two whole seconds. Wow. Well, it's a <laughs> you know I I can't function without that cheap hotel coffee either. So it's a good thing you had that. To maybe you would have missed it. This is Socorro, New Mexico, an Interstate 25, 4.30 in the morning, middle of no, nowhere. No, 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 no. I hadn't gotten to, to Socorro. I hadn't gotten oh. to 25. It's not the interstate. It's US 380, two-lane oh. road, one lane one way, one lane the other way. I mean, it's it's not it's not a big road. It, it was, I was, oh, God. I, I mean, I was, I met maybe probably within a hundred miles of the interstate, but probably somewhere, maybe more than 50 miles, I bet, from the interstate. I mean, I was, no, this is, this is really in the, I was going west, okay? The interstate goes north-south. I was going general direction west. When the um, shadow being was on the south side of the, of the road, and it went north across the road, I was going east to west, so it crossed my path. Wow, it reminds me a lot of The Shadow, I think was the name of the uh, radio show. Yes, yes. I, I, I'm i not familiar with The Shadow. I haven't seen them. There was a movie, I think, and I haven't heard the radio show, but essentially it was The Shadow. Um, but the headlights did not penetrate. It was different. Oh, and the other thing is um, there were no legs. And it seemed to be higher, like it was off the ground already. Like I didn't have the sense that it was standing on the ground. I had the sense that it was floating, okay? And so it was, you know, higher than the average human being. I mean, if it, if it had legs wow. or whatever and was on the ground, then it would be, say, man size or, you know, tall woman size. But um, it seemed to me to be a little higher off the ground because it went straight across. You see, it didn't. It, 
it it was uh, anyway. I just it just seemed to be like hovering there. Fascinating. Exactly like that radio show. Yeah, that is that is something that you know. With any luck, I think anybody that sees something like that is going to be even more uh, inspired, which makes sense because this is such an amazing. Um, and that that's why I hate to move on from the Roswell, but let's go. Well, it, yeah, it's astonishing. It was an astonishing experience. So anyway. Oh, completely. And I think I I think I found the shadow. Let me see if this is it. One moment. Sweet. Yeah, that's the one. I remember hearing that with my gr- late grandfather. I mean, but yeah, okay. very interesting. The um, moving on. I hate to I hate to leave it, but Rend- okay. Rendlesham okay. Forest is so amazing too. Can't leave Peniston and uh, Burroughs out of this because this is such a supporting UFO. Let's let's can we go into that case a little bit, uh, John? Yes, of course. Uh, Rendlesham Forest is like the uh, English or British version of Roswell. Um, now, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's better documented than Roswell because Roswell was a hidden case. It, did, it, it happened in 47, and they hushed it up, and it didn't come out again for about 30 years. Roswell, I mean, sorry, but Rendlesham Forest has been there um, pretty much from the beginning. Um, it came out, there was a, um, there were twin U.S. Air Force bases in England. These, this is in southeast England, not far off the coast. The idea was this was part of NATO and our defense against um, Eastern Europe and Russia trying to come in, you know, and, and like Blitzkrieg or something over Western Europe. And so, but we had our, we didn't have our, you know, planes and stuff right on the border where Russia was. We had them back in England, but those things, you know, they're fast moving and we can get there uh, in a relatively quick uh, amount of time. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we have these two bases and this occurred on uh, three successive nights. Uh, It was Christmas night, Boxing Day morning. Boxing Day is the day after Christmas in England. It's also a holiday. And then uh, Boxing Day night, and the, and the and the 27th morning and then 27th December 27th night and the morning of the 28th all in 1980 on the first night um, Burroughs and another uh, Air Force uh, uh, I believe it was a sergeant Stephens mm-hmm. um, were they they were touring the base they didn't have uh, um, you know, like guys guarding the guard post, uh, they toured around it because they didn't feel like we're going to be under attack, you know, because we're right in, in England and whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So so anyway, this is how they did security. And they patrolled it in uh, vehicles. And so they, but they happened, as they were at this, they had checkpoints. And they came to, it's called Eastgate is the checkpoint. One of the famous books about it is called Left at Eastgate, although that's um, been very much um, debunked. Even even the pro-UFO community has debunked Left at Eastgate book. So anyway, they, they saw uh, something go down, a, a light go down at a, at a measured pace into Rendlesham Forest. They went off base, and this is a highly unusual procedure. Normally, they don't go off base. They went off base into the, into the forest to investigate it, and they um, came, they saw lights there, and the lights seemed to be coming towards them. So then they said, you know what, we need backup. So they, uh, they literally backed up in their uh, vehicle and then went back to the uh, east gate, and then they phoned in you know, to get uh, reinforcements and, and uh, higher ranking security. And that was in the form of Jim Peniston. He was the uh, main security person on duty that night. So he came to the, the uh, 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 Eastgate uh, along with uh, another uh, guy who, uh, Kavancic, 
And so Stephen stayed at the gate. Peniston, Burroughs, and Kavancic went off to investigate. And they all went off in one vehicle. They also checked their weapons um, because you're not allowed to take um, weapons onto English soil. That's part of the basis agreement. Mm. Okay, they, they go in and they, they went, they left Kabanzik back for radio relay because they had, they wanted to be in touch with the main base and radio relay communications were being interfered with. This is one of the first indications that you may have a UFO event because, uh, you know, communications and, and car engines and things are often disrupted by, uh, UFO activity. Right. So anyway, then Burroughs and Peniston go, go, uh, come up and they're within about 50 meters of the uh, of, of, of the light and the light is incredibly intense and anyway Peniston manages to approach it, it there was there was an explosion at one point they hit the the dirt um, when they got up uh, Burroughs ended up being engulfed in light and in kind of a catatonic state uh, he couldn't move and he was just kind of like at a standstill and he doesn't have great recall as to what happened uh, on that that night from that point on until they came out of it um, but Peniston went up and he um, tried to take photos but they the military claims they were all fought that is possible if there was any radiation there was traces of radiation found afterwards so that they might not be uh, fibbing about that. Um, but then he also uh, wrote uh, in his notebook, uh, drew the symbols that was on the craft, and then he uh, actually touched the craft. And the craft was incredibly smooth, except for the symbols that they felt like sandpaper, rough. And then he went to the biggest symbol. There was one row of symbols, like four symbols, and then there was a big symbol above it. He touched the big symbol and uh, had a download into his mind suddenly of a binary code of zeros and ones, just a stream of zeros and ones. And this is what, okay, this is his allegation. This is his claim as to what happened. I'm just reporting on that. Um, okay, so then... A day or two later, Bert, uh, Peniston wrote down this binary code in, in his uh, notebook. It was a small notebook that he used. It's an official notebook that he had. Uh, it filled up 15 pages with zeros and ones. Mm -hmm. And this has been translated as a message from uh, humans in the year 8100. And it... Uh, Give some. Um, the main part of the message is it lists coordinates on Earth uh, to various places. So one of them is a mythical island or an island that doesn't exist now, off the well off the coast of Ireland called High Brazil. There were a bunch of other ones. Uh, I, I don't know them, um, you know, from memory. There's one in China. There's one at uh, a Socorro uh, or. It's the place in Sedona, Arizona. There's one, I think, in uh, Central America. There's one around the Egypt pyramids, etc. Um, the thing that I have a problem with in that is that this message was translated from a bunch of zeros and ones. You look at the, there's, you can find the zeros and ones in the notebook pages. They're on the internet. They're in the literature. And how they translate this into this message, I just, I, well, I, that's a, a little beyond me. And also, it's, I, I don't dwell on it with the play. Um, so I don't focus on the binary code. But I do focus on him uh, um, encountering the ship. And then they found also with Burroughs, how Burroughs found the uh, the landing, because they had gone past it, because when it flew off at incredible speed, 
they attempted to follow it, but they, they weren't successful in that. And then they came back, and then they saw uh, Burroughs found the, uh, the, the impressions where the um, uh, craft had been, and also the, uh, uh, you know, broken tree branches and, and where it had gone off and come in and, and whatnot. And so then that that's pretty much sums up the first night. The second night is not well known because, again, they saw uh, a craft go into the forest. Two uh, airmen uh, left the base. One of them was a, 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 a female lieutenant, mm-hmm. and, and then there was a sergeant who also went. Um, it's not even known for sure that they went together. They may well have come off separately. It's also been speculated that the female lieutenant took her weapon off base and may have shot it, may have lost it off base. In any event, she purportedly had a uh, breakdown, a mental breakdown, and had to leave the service. But again, all of this is secondhand testimony. Neither her nor the other gentleman, the sergeant, have come forward and given firsthand testimony to my knowledge. and so I did not include an act on that. Uh, it's a three-act play that I have. The first is um, Peniston. The second is what Burroughs said, which, you know, he fills in what Peniston said. And then he also was out on the third night. So he's a good introduction to Colonel Holt's um, investigation. Colonel Holt's on the third night. They have two nights of this, and a, and a an airman breaking down and whatnot, mm-hmm. and he's and he was the deputy commander of the base, second in charge. Well, what happens when you're second in charge? Well, the first in charge orders you to go do the dirty work. So he had to go out and in a patrol in the middle of the uh, night when it's quite cold. Um, this was you know December in Britain, and uh, he led uh, four four other. Uh, Patrolmen. I mean, there were a bunch of others uh, at a staging area off base, but he, they were kept to the staging area for the most part. And they went off, and, and they, they, the first place they went was they measured, did radiation measurements at the site where uh, Penniston and Burroughs had their encounter. Then a, a UFO, a, a red blinking UFO with a black pupil, came from the field, which is next to Rendlesham Forest. Rendlesham Forest is in a, a relatively rural area of England, and there's actual farming uh, adjacent to it, and there was a field next to there, and the UFO came out of the field into the forest and was zigzagging through the trees. In other words, it was uh, under, um, you know, very knowledgeable uh, uh, power. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not explaining that exactly yeah. right, but intelligent but, control. In other words, it was directed. Wow. It wasn't. It wasn't like just a, a probe or whatever. Right. So anyway, it was. Um, it came and they they saw this UFO. They followed it back out into the field. It it it, it silently exploded into small um, uh, white orbs, and they flew off up into the sky. And the next thing they know, they were. They decided that to continue going, they went around the farmhouse into a field on the other side of the farm. Um, in fact, it could have been, that, uh, they went into a third field, and that could have been a, a, a different farm. Uh, and anyway, um, they saw up there a, uh, an object way up in the sky came toward them and beamed down a beam at their feet, not at them, because it could, it probably could have hit them and maybe uh, you know injured them, but uh, it came down at their feet. They're not sure if this what this was a warning, a sign, or, or what exactly. How to interpret that? Then it, and that lasted for about five seconds, and it was uh, a very pencil thin beam, very thin beam. Um, and then the object went over and started shooting down beams. Now, you have to understand, they were out in the, in the country, and this is a 
you know, a big, a big area. So they were some miles from the other base, which is called Bentwaters. They were by Woodbridge base, and they, the Bentwaters is the other base. And Bentwaters was a base that had nuclear weapons stored on it. Um, and these nuclear weapons were, um, they thought the uh, object was beaming down beams at the nuclear weapon facility on the base, not setting off the nuclear weapons. No nuclear weapons went off, but checking them out for some reason. I mean, there's, you know, the reason why Roswell, they think Roswell happens so soon after World War II is that the uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, those nuclear explosions, were observed from far distances, and that brought Earth to the attention of the aliens. And so then they came here, and they've been, uh, there's, there's a great book uh, about uh, nukes and uh, uh, UFOs uh, out there, uh, and that the aliens have had uh, a lot of encounters at, uh, at uh, nuclear bases uh, throughout the world. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe that there is a lot of truth to that. And, uh, you know, another interesting thing is it's like you said, they're miles from Bentwater. It's the 1980s. These twin Air Force bases, we've had two people break down, a female and I believe Holt and um, uh, three nights, you know, even first night, you know, broken tree branches, second night. I mean, by the time the third night happened, this gets really intense, and I wanted to ask you, John, uh, the the light being incredibly intense and these orbs into the sky, these things really remind me of Uinta Basin, Utah-type things that we see, and I'll go into that with you. Did you say something about Utah? Yes. Um, the the lights that they reported, sound it, it sounds like something similarly seen, those orbs into the sky, the tiny white ones, and I'll, I'll go into detail about that with you. But the first question I wanted to ask is, I've gone, I'm with you on the binary code, and I've gone to their purported GPS coordinates, um, some, you know, like, what's up with the message in some way? I went to the one near Sedona, Arizona, and, you know, it was private property. Um, jumping forward to those lights, in your research, did they experience any emotions with these lights? Emotions with the lights. Um, well, there's. I, I honestly can't can't think of an emotional tie to the lights right at the moment. Um, okay. There were. Let, let me say a couple a couple things just about, about the binary code. Yeah, I'm not saying that the the uh, the that the message is not true. I'm not saying that. It well may be that's what the binary code means. I just have trouble with how zeros and ones translate to that message. It's the translation that I question. And I'm not saying it, 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 it doesn't have any meaning. It probably does, but it just seems, it seems like an amazing translation, that's all. And the other thing I just want to point out is that book that I was referenced about UFO and nukes, um, I did, I did uh, research that for the Reynolds and Forest play. It's by Robert Hastings, UFO and Nukes, Extraordinary Counters at Nuclear Weapons Sites. It's a great book. Um, it's not the mainstay of Rendlesham Forest, but there's a chapter on Rendlesham Forest, and there's a lot of other uh, great information there about uh, UFOs and nukes. I can't agree more. A good friend of mine, Dave Rosenfeld, uh, has talked to me about the coincidences, quote-unquote, with these UFOs and nukes, and that book by Robert Hastings is a good one. And I have bec I've become a believer, John, the um, another quick question before we jump uh, to the next case was you yeah. me you mentioned Peniston tried to take photos and yeah. th they all came out foggy. Was what were you well, able? He didn't see them. That's what the photo lab told him. 
Ah. That answers my question. The photo lab said they came out fogged. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there was radiation readings at the uh, site where he took the photos. It's my understanding that radiation can fog photos. So it might be accurate. It also might be part of the cover-up. It's unknown, but the photos have never come out. Okay. And uh, w w the last question, uh, Colonel Halt, I believe, wrote a yes. sanitized memorandum for the official record, but I believe he also made a tape recording of the third night's events. Did anything come out on that, or were you able to witness the tape that? Is vital. The tape is vital evidence. It's direct involvement. The, 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 the shoot down of the beam is on the tape. It can't be denied. Wow. It happened on the tape. Unless you're saying that those guys on that tape are liars. And this is a colonel. Uh, well, he was a lieutenant colonel at the time, but became a colonel and became base commander of, the, of those two bases and then had another important position at the Pentagon after that. And also, you know, it's not just him, the, the sergeant. Uh, it's the same sergeant who was out the second night. That sergeant is on the tape. He's, he actually muttered an expletive because he couldn't believe um, what he was seeing. And so it's not, yeah, there's, there's, it's one thing to say witnesses, but it's also witnesses on tape. Mm -hmm. So the, the encounter, and also the encounter with the, um, the, the red object with the, uh, black pupil. That encounter is on tape. Yeah. So, I, I mean, this the tape is by the memorandum. To be quite honest, it 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 demonstrates something happened, but the thing is, it's a sanitized, cleaned up version. Mm -hmm. There's also were affidavits given by uh, Penniston, Burroughs, and three other uh, guys who were there out there. On the first night the problem with those is again they were afraid for their careers they're afraid you know they can't tell the whole truth because if they do they you know they may say well you know what you're gonna wash out for this or you're going to you know have to go to the crazy house for a little bit of you know need psychology or, you know what I'm saying that that it, it they just can't take it at face value the full truth the whole truth Mm -hmm. So um, the writings are one thing, but the t the tape is just it's it's pretty vital evidence. It's one of the best pieces of UFO evidence out there. I agree, and I think that you know the skeptics on this one just missed the boat. I mean, they're alleging it's a meteor, rabbit holes, the Oz effect, autokinesis, and above all, a lighthouse. This is an obvious win, I think, for Colonel Holt and. It's amazing. I just in for the sake of time, John, I'm going to move on to the Brooklyn Bridge UFO investigation. It's yes, so fascinating. Yes. Another important case, so we need to cover it. Yeah, could you um, give our listeners kind of some background about that? And uh, it has got some of the neatest write. I, I believe amazing writing, uh, just because of the. Thank you. Yeah, could we go Second into detail act. about that? Second act. Okay. The thing. Okay. A woman claims she was abducted by aliens out of her apartment right through the closed window, floated out, the aliens came into her apartment, and this was on November 30th, 1989. She ended up um, in the company of um, who it's later claimed is the United Nations Secretary General, who's the highest political position in the entire world, and his two bodyguards. The two bodyguards are the first two men and the third man is how they refer to the secretary general that secretary general was javier perez de cuellar perez de cuellar officially denies that anything happened he says i was in bed asleep that night but he also sent a letter on u.n stationery and it looks exactly i shouldn't say he sent a letter bud hopkins has a letter which is on u.n stationery in the form of a known letter of the Quayar and signed by uh, a, what looks to be a de Quayar signature saying that 
Yes, it's true, we were abducted by aliens, but I have to officially deny it, and I will continue to officially deny it. Okay, so wow. that's just one of the many contradictions in this case. There's, there's, a, there's, there's problems with the main witness. She's made some claims. It seems like they're embellished. Um, there's also some things that are hard to disprove, too. So it looks like we have a, a, a real mix here of truth and fantasy, shall we say. Mm -hmm. Now, Bud Hopkins was a famous UFO investigator. He investigated the case. Uh, Linda Cortile is the main civilian um, who, and she is, uh, her hypnotic regressions, which is a, a technique used by Bud Hopkins to get at the truth of alien abduction. That's the first act of the, of the uh, play, you have them acted out. In the second act of the play, um, Bud Hopkins, um, the, an independent filmmaker who, who uh, took the film of the, uh, these regressions, were hypnotic regressions were um, filmed for, um, you know, later, uh, later use and reference and whatnot. Just like, you know, Hulse had his tape, these, have, these are on videos. Mm -hmm. So that person in the play is called Carla Roberts. It's a fictional name. I'm not naming the real person at this time. And, but they took great offense. Over time, they came to, to uh, not believe in this case and, and have real doubts about alien abduction. So anyway, there's a tremendous debate among these three principles in the second act, particularly the two women. These are two great roles for, uh, if there's any uh, actresses out there who would be interested in a great role, either Carla Roberts or Linda Cortile is the role for you. You there need you to uh, check out this play, Will to Believe, uh, the Brooklyn Bridge UFO Investigation. It's it's all takes place on a stage, and it's very actor centric. This this uh, play, um, and then the the uh, UN Secretary General appears as, as a kind of a background character. But mainly, uh, the play revolves around what happened allegedly. I'm going to say allegedly happened with the Brooklyn Bridge UFO. Uh, investigation by Bud Hopkins and of these alien abductions. But what it comes down to, and what I use this for, is a probe of the ultimate question of the UFO experience. And that is, is your mind open to the possibility or is it closed? In other words, do you have the will to believe in UFOs? Do you have that will to believe? If you do, then you can get to, it's a prerequisite to getting to belief in UFOs. If you don't, if your mind is closed, then as far as I'm concerned, you are not going to be able to get to belief in UFOs. And you may be closing off the truth. Amen, That's brother. What, when you, the will to believe fails, you are closing off the truth. Wow, amen. That, that's what I am trying to get at uh, with the writing of this play. And wow, this is amazing. I mean, the UN Secretary General, Bud Hopkins, we have Javier denying anything happened, but yet the admitted possible alien abduction through another letter that Bud has. This, things that are hard to dispute in the case. It is amazing, John. And I think that you're... you're last two ending scenes and the summations of the experience are amazing to me this this your your ultimate question perfectly kind of sums up the podcast it's so true is your mind open to the possibility or is it closed where can our listeners keep up with you and what you're doing and help you along your journey of bringing us this amazing stuff well okay first of all the book's available on amazon you can get it either in a uh, a tangible, uh, uh, large paperback copy or uh, electronic version, which is really inexpensive, um, either one. Um, if you want to talk to me, uh, you can. Uh, uh, I'm going to give you my email, J-O-H-N-S-T-E-I-G-E-R-2-1 
2001 at gmail.com. That's johnsteiger2001 at gmail.com. Wow. Thank you so much. Wow. Thank you so much, John. It's just amazing. And I wish we could just talk for hours. And I'm hoping you have a great weekend. And I'll, I hope to talk to you soon, my friend. Thanks very much. I enjoyed it. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Bye-bye. Wow. What a barn burner. John Steiger, bringing the heat. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's, in my opinion, a defeat to those who don't believe. Three amazing cases. Amazing cases. And the research that John's gone to is just unbelievable. You know, there is so much real-life drama that is detailed in the research that I think uh, it really becomes the will to believe. And his ultimate question of whether your mind is open or not to the possibility. Until next time, keep your eyes to the skies, feet on the ground, but don't forget to take a look around. Time machine, third eye feeling like an evising. Blast off, blast off, blast off, blast off. Come blast off in my time machine, third eye feeling like an evising. Blast off, blast off, blast off, blast off. Look, visine for the third eye. It's levels and you can catch me with a bird's fly. Blast off in the time machine, blowing on that light green straight lima beans. Take it easy what they tell me Well, I'm so deep, not even Lucifer can help me And I'm going so hard, not even Lucifer can stop me Talking bitches, Somali, Maseratis, and paparazzi Going kamikaze as soon as a nigga trip Two-step, I do minds like this DeLorean, historian, her storyin' We partying back to the future like Michael J. Fox I throw that cause she feel some type of way She hot, but it ain't gonna change a thing with this pimpin' I ain't with that simpin', can't you see we on a mission, baby? Blast off in my time machine Third eye feeling like an Eva Zane